Hey, Mary and Allison. It's Brenna all the way from Salt Lake City, Utah. Big fan. First time voicemail. Lever. I will be sending, physically sending you this holiday 1997 Pleasant Company catalog, but it won't make it there in time for your mailbag episode, unfortunately. But I did take quite a few photos and send them to your Instagram page. I sent you each doll's Christmas page. That was fantastic. And I hope it will be fun for you, as fun for you to see as it was for me, especially the season's greeting page and the Bitty Baby Doll page. It's a really fun capsule of Molly's Christmas story, Samantha's. Addie's and Kirsten's. There wasn't one for Josefina, but I appreciate they put her on the cover in a stocking. I hope you enjoyed as much as I do. Thank you for all your hard work on the podcast. I thoroughly enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. Happy holidays. Welcome, everyone, to American Girls, the podcast. This is the show where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison. And that was Brenna. Thank you, Brenna. What a voicemail. What a dream. Brenna is a friend and a listener from Salt Lake City, Utah. And we were so excited to hear from her and to receive an iconic series of photos showing all the different covers, the holiday outfits, and what I would describe as a 1990s multiculturalism dream season's greetings montage. Oh, God. So with five dolls, um, we go through Chinese New Year, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, a girl mysteriously in a tutu, which I think is supposed to be. What holiday is that one for? I think that's white nutcracker culture. I see. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then a girl is playing the violin. Um, So sort of like like a Duggar vibe. And then we get mini dolls so that your dolls won't feel alone. Yeah, I mean, that would be the worst thing in the world, right? Oh, wow. That's big yikes. But thank you, Brenna, for sending that to us. Can't wait to see it in the flesh. Also, thank you for sending us friendship bracelets. That's how we know that we're friends. Brenna sent us friendship bracelets, which tragically, Allison, am I hoarding yours in my apartment right now? Yes, (laughs) it is going to be in the mail to you soon. And Brenna also sent me a house tour by way of a wedding gift because she knows I like house tours, or we both do. So thank you for that. We have such great listeners. And this episode is really where we hear from you. So this is our another one of our mailbag episodes. We love doing these episodes. The Bachelor just had their men tell all, or as I mistakenly once called it, men talk back. I really thought that's what it was <laughs> called. And I do think it's a better title, but this is sort of like the listeners tell all or listeners talk back. Yes. And something I love about Brenna and others is they had kind of a Kevin McAllister vibe in writing to us. Like, I hope I make it on time. I'm rushing. (laughs) Like I'm trying to make the holidays. And we were so thrilled to get messages from you all, voicemails, different kinds of pictures. We were tagged in some provocative Facebook threads this week. So we'll talk about that or sorry, Twitter, um, wrong platform. And there was a few things I also just kind of picked up for our conversation. We were sent a photo of Silvereye. Excuse me? I don't mean to just take us to a clinical place right away. I, you know, I'm just casually opening up our email inbox And I see a disease that this person didn't know was silver eye. And I thought this is what it was like to be Jonah Salk or the team that made the COVID vaccine. 
here I am. I have the information she needs to solve a real problem. Should did you play like Snow Patrol like sl- like softly in the background as you read the email? I told her I said we will address this immediately. She did not have a diagnosis at that time, and I said clinically what we're <laughs> out in the streets. We call it Silver Eye. We're looking at Silver Eye. The yeah. prognosis unknown. You know, thoughts and prayers. Thinking about you, we'll get into it. I'm sure we will. Like, I have a lot of great questions for you, but I think something I want to share by way of introduction today is, like, we all have these different internet lives. Sure. My life is at least once a day opening up a DM and clicking on a blurred image and it being a girl, a doll, or both, or silver eye, or someone St. Lucia's buns, or someone tagging us in a 1990s klutz book, (laughs) or someone telling a very nice story about their life. And I don't think there's anyone luckier on the internet. Yes. I mean, that could have gone so many other ways for you. And I'm sure (laughs) that's how it goes for some people. So I'm really happy that, you know, things are, things are very positive over on the AG Instagram. A very quick, well, it's a, it's a positive test result, but not a positive outcome. Wow. Ashanti has tested positive for (sighs) COVID-19. Allison, I can't even speak on this. I'm worried about her. So I believe she was scheduled to perform in a versus with, was it Keisha Cole? Yes, it was, it was several folks and it, it is postponed. It's postponed. I mean, I will be tuning in in support of her in January when she picks up that mic and, you know, hopefully is restored to health. And, you know, I remember speaking of DMs like last week or the week before a bunch of listeners messaged me and basically were like, if you and Allison have made any money off of this podcast to date, which, by the way, we really haven't throw it all at. There was, I guess, an auction in which an, a costume worn by Ashanti was up for sale. And I don't know how much it went for or what they were trying to get it for, but I feel like it was sort of out of our price range. But like aspirationally, I wanted it for us. Well, a quick update speaking of that, and I know that we cannot afford this. Those three custom American Girl Swarovski crossovers netted almost a million dollars at auction. (laughs) What? Excuse me? The money was given to charity, but, you know, not all of us, as I've recently said, grew up on Christmas tree farms. Not all of us, you know, have that kind of crystal money to throw around. That's that is absolutely shocking. I really can't accept that. Also, it's really hard to know that those Swarovski, I can't say that word, but, you know, those that aesthetic going for that much, knowing that Ashanti is out here in this world alive and can't get that kind of cash for probably like a concert appearance or even a tour. I do want to tune into her verses. I do think it will be good. I hope she sings live. The best one that I've ever seen so far was, of course, with Ms. Patti LaBelle and Gladys Knight. And then awkwardly, Dionne Warwick, star of Twitter, shows up at the very end. But they did (laughs) sing their whole thing. Dionne Warwick on Twitter, if you are having a tough week and it's the last week of the semester for me, so I'm just like on a struggle bus. Her Twitter account, Allison, have you seen her tweets? Yeah, she recently said, I have a short list of Gen Z artists I will partner with. It is a short list. And I I also <laughs> love that she's called people out by saying, like, you know, I can see what playlist you put me on. She's like, that's all. Oh, my God. Is. I'm trying to find when somebody tweeted at her and was like, can you talk to me about like your psychic friends 
network and do you believe in psychic cats as a concept? And she was like, I will not dignify this with an answer. Like you will hear from my attorney. That's it. That means yes. So speaking of Twitter questions, we were tapped this week to weigh in on a very important issue. And I am going to ask you to make this a yes or a no. Does Taylor Swift French braid her own hair? Absolutely not. (gasps) Oh, no. That's you think me. yes? I don't know. I think if I was that wealthy, I don't know that I would allow anyone to touch me and do my hair. <laughs> but she can probably afford a lot of testing. So I, I mean, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess the COVID of it all does change the calculus a bit because if we weren't in the midst of a global pandemic, I would say absolutely not. And I, I mean, I'm still holding with that answer, but I do think that complicates things. Like, does she feel like she has to braid her own hair because of the pandemic? I think she braids her own hair. If you know the answer to this, please reach out to us. But I think she does. Here's my feeling about this just off the dome is having listened to her newest album um, on which I feel like she and I've talked about this with friends who have like listened to this many times as well. After listening to it and going and reading the extended credits, there are many people who like um, do backup vocals on this album uncredited. Haim gets a feature on one track, which is being called the greatest true crime mystery of the year. And I'm like, it's not, but whatever. They are barely audible. Like if you listen to other songs, that it's just her backing herself up or just random backup vocals. It sounds exactly the same as Haim. And I actually really love them. So I'm like, man, Taylor, what happened? Like, why are you doing them dirty? And it's like, what if... She was like, listen, a lot of people are singing on this album, not getting credited on the credits officially. They're not making it on the album sleeve. You can, depending on one question, can you French braid hair? Yes, I could see that. Just saying. I mean, does she get the level of care that my Molly got when her hair was professionally braided? No, I'm willing to say that. No one can. Absolutely no one would. Are you kidding? Okay, so we do have, we have so many Question. So we'll go back Let's and dive forth. right in. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to advertisers for native podcast sponsorships. What does that actually mean? Well, for our purposes, it means that we don't have to run ads on our show for products and services we don't believe in. We take this community really seriously, so we've in an ongoing way been trying to match with products that actually meet our mission and our values and are things that we're proud to support. So Podcorn has been a really wonderful service where we've been able to log on to their site and find a bunch of advertisers who want to work with us that we're excited to work with as well. If you're creator and you're looking for brands that you might want to work with, Podcorn is a great option. They have a marketplace mission to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and control. And you never give up exclusive rights to your podcast. Click the link in our show notes to learn how to sign up and to learn more about Podcorn. That's right. So just head over to podcorn.com and get started today. Yes. So something that's been keeping me up at night since Rachel asked it, did she ask this question today? Yes, but I know that it will in the future. Interesting. So I have a Molly next to me, as you know. She says, the fact that Courtney has a Molly, my Molly does also have the, or my Courtney has the Molly. This keeps her up at night. Does that mean Molly is canonically not real in the AG universe? 
Can you explain that to me again? I feel like, you know, that Sandra Bullock movie, The Lake House, where it's like she and Keanu Reeves are living two years apart and somehow keep exchanging mail. And then at the end of the movie, they meet. Spoiler alert. I've literally drawn out diagrams trying to understand how that's possible. Like, I've literally consulted a brief history before time. Like, I know that's not what that book was meant to be used for, but like, that's what I used it for or tried to. So I feel like I'm tapping into that like internal spiral to answer this question. So I'm going to need you to like take me through this. So, what she's saying is in Courtney's universe, Molly is available for purchase, right? And yes. since she was born in the 1970s, like, instead of them having potentially overlapping timelines, Courtney is able to acquire oh, I Molly. See. I see. So I think what that means is that within the realm of the American Girl universe, the stories are all true to each other, right? So we're assuming that Courtney is reading it as fiction when perhaps she is not. Wow. That's just how I see oh it. My God. No, I I actually, I think that's a really wonderful question. I think it's a, a very deep and complicated question. I'll probably wow. never sleep again after reading that. So I don't think it means she's not real. I think it shifts what we perceive as the boundary of fiction and nonfiction in their own world. So really the question is, does Valerie Tripp exist? Yes. Like if what you're saying is true, oh. that's the question. To Courtney, No. In our world, yes. To Courtney, to no. Courtney, no. No. Unless someone writes in Courtney meeting Valerie, then that changes oh everything. So you hand me that document, you hand me that fan fiction, right. I will write a new memorandum. As of today, Courtney Moore, 1986, oh owns Molly, but Molly is, we're going to talk about Rosie the Riveter later because we got a great question about it. Ooh. Molly is a real person to her. Molly is both an icon and a real person. Oh, my God. And Val Tripp is in some ways an icon and a real person. Indeed. Wow. The mini Molly is triggering for me, as you know, because I did get you that for Christmas. And then once I realized you already had it, I was trying to return it. And the hold music at American Girl made me want to like have a breakdown, a breakthrough. Hard to say. But honestly, if anyone is listening who works at American Girl, please take this note. You have the greatest song of all time. You own the copyright. It's called Hey Courtney. Please play that as your hold music. What you're currently playing is a hate crime. Thank you. And but why would why would you insert Hey Courtney into something mundane when it's art? I, I just think it doesn't Because belong. you know, because their hold times are out of control. Literally, there's a message that comes on that's like, our hold times are longer than like ever in our history. So you're gonna be here a while. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I put it on speaker like doing things around my house. And like, literally it's a loop that repeats after five seconds. Yeah. So if you're on for say, I don't know, 38 minutes as I was last week, it's 38 minutes worth of a five second loop that makes you want to like pull your own hair out. And I'm like, I could be bopping and jamming out to Hey Courtney. No problem. This time would fly. Just leave me in total silence or play Hey Courtney and like nothing in between. That's it. I can't disagree. Um, there's nothing to say to that. I guess there's just nothing to say to that. I mean, I'm just, you know, if you work for American Girl, think about it. That's all I'm going to say. I'm I'm fine with that. Okay. I have an easy question to ask. Okay. 
So I think this is actually good because this is something about where we are headed on our American girl journey. And there's always people who are finding the show for the first time. So they're listening to old episodes where we say certain things about what we're going to do and and it's changed a bit. So both Christina and Kirsten wrote in to ask us if we were willing or going to cover Kaya and or Kit. And so we actually have a a good and easy answer to this. Do you want to give this answer? (laughs) No, please go ahead. I mean, I believe um, ladies who wrote to us um, to quote the great philosophers, O-Town, I want it all or nothing at all. We're We're doing doing all of them. them We're doing them all. Like my bookcase, um, Kaya's books are a beautiful blue. She's next. She's already have Kaya's books. Mary, I have all of them. I don't. Oh, my God. And see, this is the problem of this show. It's created such a run on these books that it's like. I know. Am I going to have to like beat out some kind of like 10 year old who's actually just like genuinely a very sweet way wanting to read these books? And I'm like, excuse me, ma'am, this is a professional thing. I need it. So listener and friend Emily sent me just mere hours prior to recording. This was not pre-planned that someone in her local town group was selling Felicity's Wintertime Entertainments. <gasps> And that you could buy it as part of a larger bundle. And her Felicity looks amazing. She has on a gorgeous cape. She looks excellent. It's from a smoke-free, pet-free home. I was like, you know what this does. Like, you Are you know getting what- it? So it's on an island. I just don't think that the logistics are going to work out for me. But it continues. I like that people are like, this toy from 1993 is available. I must send it to my friends at American Girl. And we do, like, we need it. Genuinely, yes, of course. Yeah. So many great questions have come in. I put out a call for some. So, Allison, I'm going to fire one at you if you're emotionally, spiritually prepared for this. <laughs> so, Elena from TX, uh, hey, girl, um, she wrote and said, what OGAG is Taylor Swift? Don't be scared of the Swifties. Playing small doesn't serve the world. Wow. So we've we've talked, I think, about this a bit before because of the summer. I think we framed her in the same way that we framed as Samantha prior to our rereading of the books. And I am still going to go back and say that she's a Kirsten. I think she's a Kirsten. I think she's very artistic in her own, obviously, in, in the musical way. But I think she has an aesthetic that's evolved and is very interesting right now. Like it's not just about the braids or being in a field. I think that's part of it. I think we've changed in the way that we think about a lot of these people. And I also think part of evolving and being an adult is saying, listen, I didn't like this certain stage of how this artist was talked about or the way they talked about themselves, but I really like this product that they've made now. Yep, totally agree. And as a follow-up, a bunch of people asked us to comment on her new album or if we had any thoughts on it, which I know is like potentially stressful for you. So I would just use this as a moment to say that I agree. And I still think that Taylor Swift is a Kirsten 110%. And in a way, someone else actually asked if we think the pioneers minded um, the increased daylight that would have been happening now because of no daylight savings time like if the pioneers or the swiss pioneers um but thinking about all of this and taylor swift it's like of course if taylor swift is locked inside in a pandemic and also like less daylight she takes to this by like imagining these very elaborate stories in the form of these songs and these past two albums to me are like peak cottagecore and 
you know, in some ways, is Jack Antonoff her raccoon? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Just saying. I'm just putting that out there. Think about it. But I do think, like, all of this is a piece. And I agree with you that in the past, I have been critical of her, especially of her 1989, even though I love that album. That phase of her commodifying friendship was offensive to me. But I think Anne Helen Peterson really kind of, like, helped us think with this in a helpful way, which is, like, as you're growing up, you know, people are figuring themselves out. And I think she's no different. And she's figuring herself out more in a way that I think she is speaking in a voice that feels true to who she probably is. And as a result, I've really enjoyed the past two albums. I can go with that. I I mean, I think it's also like, she's not a Felicity. She's, I I think she's definitely not a Samantha. Nope. I think she's had a few Samantha tendencies with the election. Like she's really done her best to speak out, to make her positions clear to people, to to get people animated and, and activated. But overall, I'm, I'm standing by my original stance. Okay, I respect that. She did come out and say that she's making baby gifts for her ex-boyfriend's children, presumably Joe Jonas. And I'm like, Mm. that's a bridge too far. I could never do that. So maybe like spiritually, she's on a higher plane than I am. I think it's different for the very rich because I think they understand (laughs) that they're, no, I think their circles are so small and I think their relationships are very different. I do recall when RBG died, people would say, oh, it's so nice that she was friends with people across the aisle. There's also just only like eight people on the planet who understand what it is like to be her. Mm -hmm. It's like popes being friends with each other, the ones who stepped. It's like, of course, I mean, you're going to have this relationship. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. She just interviewed Paul McCartney for Rolling Stone. And it's like this pairing absolutely makes total sense. Like it doesn't, it doesn't because they're like you say, like she at one point in the conversation, she's like, like, you know, when you're writing songs and you have in mind that you're going to be playing a stadium and it's like, uh... I don't nope. really think that many people have that, <laughs> you know, mindset, but yeah, so I think you're absolutely right. Now, one question, and I like this because it is something that we've talked a bit about. Have we ever thought about approaching models who are in the American Girl catalogs? Absolutely. This is from Heather, which I, Heather, hi. Hey, girl. I, we've absolutely talked about this and talked about um, the, yeah, the models who are profiled in the magazine and you know, I really would love to get in touch with some of them and kind of figure out, you know, where they are now and how they feel looking back on that experience, because I would love to hear what that whole experience was like. So, yes, we absolutely can. I mean, I hope they would take our call. Like, I guess that's more my mindset. Like, maybe they're so big time now that, you know, they don't want to go backwards. I hear that. OK, this is a question that came in from Super Smiley Lake Glenn Wiley. I might not be reading that correctly, but. She asks, can you take us, can you talk to us about your college journey? Why did you take the routes that you did? Wow. Okay. Deep sure. question. Yeah. I think that's a great question. Uh, does she mean kind of like where we went or what we did while we were there? I guess Her, both. I don't know. Maybe both. Yeah. So as is known, we went to the same small liberal arts college, but we were not in, in a lot of the same kinds of things. I started as pre-med and then did not ultimately pursue that, as you know. So I I have really pretty fond memories of a lot of it, especially the academic side. I think all the time about all the really interesting things that I got to do. I mean, to me, college really was a special time where I kind of got to tinker around with ideas. And it also became clear 
I was in a microbiology class that uh, was really not going so great. And it just it excited nothing in me. There was nothing about it that felt compelling to me. And I think part of the gift of a liberal arts college or a college that suits you is feeling like I was empowered to make choices that worked for me. And I, I think genuinely, like, they're not paying me to say this. I did work in admissions. They're not paying me. They, they pay should. you. But no. <laughs> um, but I think genuinely, like, there really is nothing like that. There's nothing like feeling as though you can kind of switch who you think you're going to be at 17, 18 and, and try things out. Uh, I recently was going through all my old college notebooks and all my old readers And I also just see that kind of as all the care that people put in, right? We had very Mm. few textbooks at our institution, not anti-textbook. I'm just saying a lot of my faculty were people who had taught different versions of same or similar classes for 25, 30 years, history and American studies classes. And they knew what reading sparked good discussion and they knew how to kind of put a package together. And that was very special to me. That was really important. And I think Sometimes I wonder, like, why do I know this about that thing? It's like, oh, yeah, I was fortunate to take a class where I got to read a bunch of things about that and kind of doing what I do now in our our different jobs. I tell people all the time, like, you need to think of an inverted pyramid. You need that much knowledge to say one sentence on a program and feel Mm -hmm. good about it. And I think part of that, too, is like that liberal arts background. I feel you. Yes. I feel like that was sort of like a commercial for <laughs> a commercial for our college. Yeah. No, but I mean, I think it's sincere and it's true. And yes, like as we've said many times, we didn't know each other. We went to the same school, which feels unbelievable to me now. Um, I think it's funny because when I think about being in college, I think less about the academics than sort of like, you know, there's that Maya Angelou quote, like no one will remember what you say, but everyone will remember how you made them feel. That's sort of how I think about college, which is like, I don't really remember a lot of the content of all of my classes. Like, of course I do, like for history and and English and things I was super interested in. But I think for me, like in terms of my life trajectory, I barely went to high school because my health was so bad when I was in high school. So I felt like I was homeschooled or it was just like a very like a thing. I spent a lot of time by myself or, you know, so to be in a place where you could sit around a table and talk about a book that you read and found interesting and have people be equally passionate about it and have a faculty member who really cared about what you thought and wanted to hone your ability to think with things um, was really exciting to me and still is. And I think I still seek out that kind of feeling in all parts of life, including the show. But, you know, it was an interesting time. I don't know. I feel like I still really didn't have a lot figured out when I was in college. So I look back I actually had a look at my college ID photo the other day and it was like, whoa, that feels like it was a million years ago. But as you know, I'm very proud of this. My face is completely blurred off of my college ID because I never lost mine in four years. And so it was swiped and touched so many times. I wiped almost like my whole, all the text in myself off of it. I was very proud of that. Wow. Well, there you go. And this is the last college question that I'll ask that's more, you know, about the future. So Alana writes to us and asks, what advice would you have for returning college student? I'm 29. I think that's a great question. Do you want to start? Well, first, I just want to say thanks for posing that question to us and also just sort of congratulate you on starting off what sounds like a really exciting time in your life. 
And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of advice we could probably give you. I'm trying to think about the best thing to say. I think there's a, like a version of advice about college that's roughly like performing this lyrics of the climb by Miley Cyrus's spoken <laughs> word, like just very ambiguous and inspirational. But I do think um, it's good to kind of take classes that do work for you in your schedule, like if you have to take gen eds, but that also allow you to be curious about things um, that maybe you haven't been exposed to before, whether it's content areas or it's disciplines. So learning to think in different ways than maybe you had an opportunity to earlier, like taking a sociology class or anthropology um, and being curious, but also, you know, being pragmatic as you need to, because we both know tuition costs are out of control. Yeah, I think so. I think the the granular parts of this advice won't translate exactly, but I think the bigger concept will. I worked really well in what was a below ground computer lab where we went to school. I just worked really well there. And it was funny because when I did guided tours through the campus, I would talk about how our library had an almost record setting number of windows and that people really wanted to capitalize on the beautiful natural light. Every time I said this, I always thought it was kind of ironic because I hated working in those spaces. I hated seeing the sun go down. Um, Hartford has really beautiful sunsets, I think, particularly where we were. So I hated seeing the day go by. I would go into the basement and I would totally lose track of time and hours and hours would go by and I would get so much done. And I realized I can sit here in this kind of like hopeless, bleak place, but I can get all these things done and then I can actually enjoy what's outside. Mm. So maybe the the inverse of that is true for you. Um, I feel like all we do is shill for Dunkin' Donuts, but... <laughs> I did almost all of my comps reading for graduate school, and I did a ton of work at this particular Dunkin' Donuts. And part of why I did it is it had this familiar rhythm. Like, I knew that the same men were going to come in and flirt with the same women every single day, and I knew some of them were (laughs) going to cross a boundary, and it would be, you know, borderline harassment. I knew that I would hear the clink of the tip jar. Like, I just knew what was going to happen. I knew an older adult was going to accost me and ask me why I was reading in the middle of the day. Did I have a job? Like, yeah, it's complicated, but like, I knew what was going to happen. I knew that I could have my iced coffee and I knew how long I could stay. So I think like finding patterns that work for you and also saying like, you know, I'm on this tour talking about how wonderful the natural light is. It didn't work for me and that was okay. Yeah, I think all of that is true and and like finding study skills that are like, like when I'm listening to it seems like you found a ritual, a series of rituals that worked for you. Um, And that's really, really a key thing. Also to find rewards or ways of being kind to yourself. And I wish I had found that a little bit sooner in my Mm -hmm. academic career, which is I would stay up super late or all night or whatever. (gasps) When really I wish I had slept more or been kinder to myself. Also, don't be intimidated by any other fellow classmates you have who might be younger than you and might be presenting as if they have it all figured out because most likely they don't. And also, who cares? And, you know, I was in college with this guy who was like very extremely mediocre and he was like his own biggest fan. And at first I was really intimidated and I wouldn't raise my hand or whatever if he was there. I wouldn't put myself forward because I thought, wow, he must really have it all figured out. Come to find out he didn't. And so I often think about this person and I'm like, okay, let me just pretend to be him for a second and like raise my hand if I have something to say. Because otherwise, you know, you might 
be shy or something. But I would just say be kind to yourself. Best life advice of 2020, be kind to yourself. Now, along these lines, and you don't know this, someone asked if she could list us as a reference to get into a history graduate program. What? I said, yeah. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of no course. Problem. We're available. <laughs> well, you need us to make a phone call? No problem. You want us to write you a letter of rec? No problem. I'll tweet at them. It's fine. I mean, how much, how many Dolly Part lyrics is considered an uncomfortable amount in a letter of reference? Two? Okay. No. No. I mean, she just basically fixed COVID, so. <laughs> it's fine. Wow. What an honor. Thank you. Agreed. So I, while we're talking history, I love this question and we may have answered different versions of it before, but I really like it because we always think of different things. What era, place, or event is begging for an AG historical character? Um, hmm. I It's a shaker for me. I'm just trying to pick the era. Um, that's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of where my head's at because I would actually really love to see how American Girl would handle a utopian community. So actually, mm-hmm. like, if something's called American Girl, what does it mean to base the story and the and girlhood within a utopian community that's actually challenging the national project writ large and dreaming and living something different? And I think that's in part why the Shakers are so interesting to me. And also, if you did it around the 1910s, that's when the numbers start to really decline and they start taking mm. on more orphans. Coincidence, keep those numbers up. So the friend, the friend of could be an orphan. That's what I like I'm saying. That. I think that's really cool. I like that. Okay, thank you. How about you? So something I've been thinking about lately, and I know that there is children's literature on it, but I think I think something that's changed in our culture in the past year and something that we will look back on and it will feel like the change was more marked at the time. Not just thinking of abolition as a social movement of the mid 19th century, but thinking of the movement to reform and end the carceral state as the new Mm. conversation around abolition. Um, So I think a few different things would be interesting. I would, I mean, I would go out and immediately buy as an example, a story of an American girl who is at Alcatraz in 1969 when they occupy the rock. Um, And I think that would be a really compelling story of of what that was like. I also think all the time, um, someone recently was posting about this idea, you know, of unemployment as this kind of farce, like, right, this is like a reflection of actual just like failures of society to match people's skills and fulfillment with a living wage. But anyway, but the the lines about it came directly from a poster that was put out by the Black Panthers. And I think that would be such a ripe area to explore for so many reasons, but partially because you have to find those human universals. The Black Panthers were feeding people who were hungry. And, and that's a human universal. And you could build an entire book around a pancake breakfast. And so I just think like that would be a really ripe story. Um, and I think if you got the right storyteller and the right person to illustrate it, I think it would also shift American Girl into territory that people I really do think are, are desperate for. I think people really want more radical stories. They want a broader expanse. And that's not a criticism of Courtney. I just think it's so easy to make the quick jab of, you know, there were girls who had to deal with these very intense historical traumas and now they play Pac-Man. I don't think that that's a fair trajectory, but I also think there's so many stories that you could be digging into. 
hundred percent. And even when they've tried to kind of diversify what they're doing, it seems like the ways that they do that are in sort of peripheral characters. Like they would have like, uh, you know, they would explore disability, but through a friend of, or through like a doll that's available in the catalog, but not necessarily like a central character in a book. To my knowledge, again, we have not read all of the books, but it's interesting that both of our picks are imagining a narrative that explores a a moment when a group was trying to realize or explore a a different future or more rights outside Mm -hmm. the system than within it. So rather than melody, like a black Panther story. So that's interesting, but I agree. I think that'd be really cool. There's so many. I mean, I think that could be a whole other show, but I also like what you're talking about with I think communities that are somehow apart from society, I think that really is as relevant today as it ever was. I've been watching Welcome to Plathville, which is like its own (laughs) separate conversation, but like they're a family that essentially is trying to live outside the grain of mainstream American culture. So obviously what you do when you're doing that is you call up a television network to film your life. Of course. Yeah. I mean, natural next step. Course. That's its own its own thing. But I think what I find compelling about it is I like watching them kind of navigate in real time in the interviews, like what they think is okay and what isn't. Hmm. And I think that's at the core of these communities, right? Like shakers understand, well, if we're not making more people, we have to take people. Right. <laughs> like Now, of so- course, when I mentioned that at a shaker museum, I was told that that was unfair and not true. But I do think that that's fair and true. Just going to say, I know they're a blind spot for me. I'll just acknowledge that I'm not I'm in too I deep. Be. I just keep literally I'm this is not a joke. At least once a month, I consider what it is that we might do to actually convince Oprah to show us her collection of shaker materials. As we all know, Oprah is the largest private owner. <laughs> she owns the largest collection of shaker furniture in private hands. Open the vault, Oprah. So we all have our things. Harlan County, USA and the Oprah Shaker collection. You're like, there is no bar to entry too low for you to introduce that into conversation. (sighs) Is it wrong? I mean, I'm just saying it's like no one's talking about it enough. Like, I mean, I have to keep bringing it up because it's like nobody else is talking about this. So if they came to you and they said, Mary, Uh we can have one utopian community. You're either going to get Fruitlands or, and Louisa May is not going to be in it, or you can have a shaker story. Shaker story. No question. Okay. Fruitlands okay, failed. And if Louisa May is not going to be there, you think I want to hang out with Bronson? I don't know. They didn't have shoes. Or Thoreau. He would just like turn to me and be like, yeah, like my mom does my laundry when I'm at Walden Pond. So of course you're going to do that for me, right? And I'd be like, excuse me? But Allison, I want to bring up a topic that is near and dear to your heart. If we were talking about oh. The Bachelor, which we're not, this question is not about The Bachelor, but- you know, you're, we just had um, hometown dates on this season, and your favorite part of that traditionally are the dads. You know, you love yes. you love to kind of analyze them and see who you think is your number one. So this listener wrote to us and asked, who is your favorite dad in the AG series so far? It's a really good question. They are quite absent most of the time now that I think about it. I have to say Mr. Merriman because I think he's fun. He's ultimately on sort of the right side, air quotes, of the revolution because he's pushing things. He Mm. gives Felicity candy. I think he's probably the closest to kind of how I align with my dad. Like, I think 
there's something really cool about her relationship with her father where he's always really happy to see her and he's sort of excited to be in her life, right? Mm. And also, my dad constantly gave me candy and donuts and <laughs> such treats as a child. So I think I think I kind of relate to to that element a little bit. Very good. I don't know that I have a favorite. I've been thinking about this. It's hard. It's like, I don't know. Mr. Mr. M? I'm going to say Mr. M because I like his playfulness um, and his joking, which we've not seen directly, but you know, I don't know. It's like, I'll go with that for now. So we do have a bunch of cool holiday stories, but before we share some of those, Taylor has an inquiry that I chose to not pursue because I want the listenership to really kind of like weigh in on this. So she wants to know if other listeners remember what she calls an event from 2004. Okay. A dad, so great segue, made an unofficial AG website for his daughter. The site was an unreal and cataloged um, collection of all the AG objects. There was a guest board and Anna Sophia Robb would talk to people because she was Samantha. Eventually, I found out it was my twin sister posing as her. I want to see if anyone else was catfished by a fake Anna Sophia Rob. Oh my God, what? Neve Schulman, if you listen to this if show, you're listening. This is a case for you. So I don't know that, like, we fully, because I was like, if I start to look into this, it will never end. Right. Yeah. Now I want to, like, do a deep dive on this. This is fascinating. So. What, like, I did she give any more details? Like, what prompted this? Did something happen that brought this down from within? Like, were they, was there like some kind of big reveal? Like, what happened? As we joke, like, you know, there are people who inspire art of all kinds. Like, what we do brings this out in people. Okay. I respect that. We're sort of like an apricot scrub of AG memories. Like something okay. is coming out. Something's coming out. It and what hurt. is the sister doing now? That's my question is like, <laughs> where did she take this energy? Where did the dad take this energy? So Taylor asked us one question. I have 18 for her. Thank you. Yeah, that's the right response. Wow. Okay. Like, so I'm not familiar with this, but I would love if we could get some listeners writing to us with some, you know, their own history with this. Yes. And we'll launch an investigation. Now, speaking of history, Samantha M understands how to reach me. Uh She writes, she says, I love the show. She's a history teacher. Hey, Samantha M. She sends me a picture of her cat named Eleanor dressed as a suffrage cat for Halloween. Thank you, Samantha M printing it out from my wall. So since we've been talking about Molly, she wanted to know kind of what we thought or how we have taught or thought with the Rosie the Riveter, we can do it poster. And she does a lot of cool work with her students um, where she has them read an article about how there's really a big mythology built up around Rosie and that that poster, according to the article that they read, is really more sort of about like controlling women in the wartime workplace. But later it becomes this icon, it becomes this kind of useful symbol of feminism. So what would you do to kind of teach with that? Or how do you personally think about that poster? Well, I feel like you should actually lead the way on this because you've literally presented at the Rosie (laughs) reunion thing like two years in a row. Am I friends with the park ranger who is like literally a Rosie the Riveter who still works? Amazing. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. You're not? No, I'm not friends with her. But I bought her memoir from my mother for Christmas. So. Okay. Well, respect. 
she's in her nineties and she's like, well, I retire. No, I can do it. So I think this is a cool question. And I like the article that you sent us because it talks a bit about kind of like, what is the actual context? And I think people are often surprised to know that that poster was pretty short-lived, right? It was made Mm -hmm. for a very specific context for Westinghouse and it hung on the wall and it's had this whole other life ever since. I think there's something, as you mentioned, I do an event, typically it's in person, um, where people come and they dress up as Rosies and they learn about all different kind of culture of that time period. I think that's an icon that people have thought more about than others. So it's really, especially ripe for these conversations of like, what do these posters, what do these symbols do for us and how have we changed what we see from them? I think part of where her question might be coming from is our discussion of the hardship of the forties And I think Rosie is taken as a sign of like women feeling really amped up, women feeling really excited about work. I think part of what we've been trying to expose is this is a period of overwork. It's a period of burnout. It's a period of trauma. And you could just as easily walk by that poster and say, not today. (laughs) Um, and, And I think like people respond differently to things, right? Like when you're in a work environment and you're given tips on how to de-stress, you know that a number one, like my blood pressure goes through the roof. Do not play. Don't worry. Be happy around me because you're not going to like what happens. (laughs) So my response to that is like, it's not positive. Like, I don't think we can do it would have amped me up, but I think it's more fascinating that in the decades since it genuinely is empowering to some people, not everyone, but it is. I mean, it's sort of like, there's an, a purposeful amnesia that takes place with this image, because as we've been saying about this period, I mean, you kind of have to wonder with like, we can do it when the it changes for what the nation asked women to do and they don't like that. Then what did it like? What are we asking them to do in 1950 in 1946 when the men come home from the war? Like women might go in the factory, might be living with real trauma, trying to feed their families, struggling to do so trying to air quotes, like take part in this national project with varying levels of investment, who knows what. And it's sort of like this really amped up poster that you probably walked by on your way into the factory. And if you noticed it at all, you probably rolled your eyes because you were tired and thinking about (laughs) very real things. Like as we all now like walk by some of these COVID posters that are trying to address COVID fatigue, like people not wearing masks, people being so tired of this stuff that they don't want to comply with it anymore. You know, I'm very aware of all of these PSAs that are around, but I probably, you know, 30 years from now won't be like, you know, 50 years to my grandchildren, like, oh, yes, like, I really felt like that I was a COVID Mary, like, if there was a COVID Mary (laughs) poster, like, I, you know, I really identified with that. It's probably just a part of the furniture, the scenery. But then there's this purposeful amnesia that goes on with second wave feminists and the women's movement, where it gets reappropriated by those folks who want to remember or imagine that women in that moment had some kind of feminist consciousness that I think, you know, you could argue they did or did not have. Um, and so really what we're celebrating or what's celebrated now is not anything to do with World War II. It's the amnesia and the reappropriation that happened in the 1960s and forward. And now it's interesting. We've also been talking about this transition from citizen to consumer as like a primary identity. That image to me is primarily an image of consumption because that pose, that imagery is like almost a hundred percent now used by celebrities or models to Mm -hmm. sell things. That's it. 
Um, for my, I'm just thinking like of modern day examples of this, like Beyonce, who else? At one time, her pose recreating the Rosie pose was the most liked image ever on Instagram. That is no longer true, but it was in 2016. That's interesting. But what's interesting about that as well is that it also exposes yet further amnesia about actual women working in World War II factories, which is a lot of them were women of color. But you're not going to see that in a lot of the federal posters that were also shared around during the war. It is a really interesting thing to think with, like because it can lead you down all these different trails. But I think trying to challenge in your mind sort of the received narratives of progress about the war in particular, like the overly celebratory narratives that get mapped onto literally everything, including Rosie the Riveter. (laughs) No, just being like real, like that's true. Like if you can kind of step back or push back a little bit on that, it can actually complicate um, in, in interesting ways what we think about the trajectory of like iconography around women in our visual culture. I don't know. That's just what I'm thinking about. There's also the importance of the first time that they had that event. One of the slides that I had featured Aunt Jemima and then Rosie. Mm. Because what they're wearing on their head seems to be identical. If you don't understand, like if you were dropped onto this planet and you were just asked to compare those two pictures and you weren't raised to think about race, you weren't raised to think about that as part of your sociological background. It's like, oh, these are two creatures that are both wearing a red kerchief. Like if for some reason that was the only thing that you could identify, but we understand that those are very different. They come from two very different trajectories in Mm. our culture. Um, To me, so part of the article that she sent us and, and part of what she had us think about, I think something we haven't said maybe as explicitly about Molly that is worth mentioning. Obviously we we've talked a bit about her family background. Part of why her war experience is different is her class. Mm. And, th- and that's just part of it, right? Like there's a class element where when you read stories about remarkable women in the factories, um, part of what makes it remarkable and part of why these women feel so sort of thrilled is some of them weren't coming from difficult or dirty factory jobs. They were college students. Mm-hmm. So they were people who were kind of like testing this out and then they were able to leave. And I'm not saying that of everyone, but This year, we talked about this in terms of pink slips and parades, that when people started to celebrate Victory Day, a lot of women were also handed pink slips. Mm. And they were also given this messaging of like, yes, you did it, but you shouldn't feel sad. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think class is so essential to that. I'm actually just thinking about sort of the modern day conduits to that with COVID, which is like, when you see a lot of the iconography, it's like people being like air quotes brave going about their lives where it's like, actually, you're not as in danger as frontline healthcare workers. And yet, like folks who are frontline healthcare workers in nursing homes are also the first getting pink slips because they're like, oh, actually, like the crunch of this pandemic is also putting your life at risk, but making it financially impossible for us to keep you here, air quotes. Um, so kind of thinking about, yeah, like who has the choice to opt in and opt out of being hmm. Rosie the Riveter is interesting, too. I have a tantalizing question from Anne Helen Peterson. Oh. She writes, my friend's kids have the catalog and they all want the $650 hippie van. Why and how? Is it a real vehicle? I, I'm, I don't believe so. I mean, when I read this fast, I was actually thinking she was referring to that series of TikTok videos. It's like people tricking out a van to live in and they're like, 
it's like my tiny home and here's me adding my kitchen cabinets and this and that. And I'm like, okay, I believe that would cost $650, possibly more, like way more. But a children's toy hippie van, that's $650. I mean, I guess the real question is what kind of adventures they're going to take it on. Right. I mean... Maybe that's not the right question. I mean, if they are going to solve mysteries, perhaps. (laughs) If they're just going to put up beaded curtains a la Julie and company, I'm not sure. I do think in the long run, what they would appreciate is like cool aunt or cool friend and putting that amount of money in an account with an aggressive growth. But I'm also in my 30s now. And so I have an uncool answer. You're like Roth IRA kids. (laughs) Well, you know, and is this van, could it be converted to run on, you know, oil, like fast food oil runoff a la Neil Young did that to his car and then like wrote some weird album about the experience. You know, I don't know. I don't really know what I see going on here, but I do feel like these kids need a wake up call in the vein of getting the kinds of stuff that probably we got for Christmas. That was not $650 or. Okay. Hot take. It's backordered. So I don't think this is happening either way. So this is Josh, Joss, Joss, Joss's Volkswagen surf bus. So first of all, this is like, cool. This is a, a crossover because it's actually Volkswagen, which is pretty cool. I'm actually looking at it right now because I now I'm a little it. bit. Now I'm a little bit intrigued. The reviews are very mixed, Anne. Okay. There are people saying, this is amazing. They're sharing shots. It is not nearly big enough for $650. People are saying, super cool, amazing details, amazing and unique. Here's something I worry about. I'm listening. This, This is not a judgment. If you watched The Bachelor in Paradise that ended with Kaylin Keys moving into a van with a gentleman, I choose to not remember Dean. his name at this time. Okay. With Dean. That's their future. I will say there is nothing darker to me. Well, that's maybe not true, but in 2020, then those TikTok videos of people moving into a van that looks just like this. Yeah. Where they're like, guys, it's amazing. What you can do is get up in the middle of the night and teach English to kids in China from the back of your van. I'll teach you how to build a, ho- a hotspot. You know, will you feel fulfilled in your job? No, but you will be living in your van and you can drive from national park to national park or just open space where you're allowed to legally park this van overnight. Um, you know, here's the self-composting toilet that's hidden behind the driver's seat. And you're like, ah, like, dear God, somebody help these people right now. So here's the thing. It's going to take up a lot of room. So it depends on your relationship with the parents. This van is going to potentially take up half of their living room or a big part of their living space. Right. That said, I'm not going to lie. Recently was looking at my Barbie camper. Okay. Got a little bit misty. Probably the best whatever my parents ever spent. My Barbie camper was amazing. I loved the time that I spent in there. Uh, my grandfather, who did serve in World War II, would make me little accessories to put in there because he took up um, like handicrafts late in life. I'm just saying all these stories are connected in its own way. Um, I do think, oh my God, there's a projector that comes with this. Here's the thing. She's oh living large. Oh my God. Would you I'm rather learn to now. surf though? 
I would love to learn to surf. I would love to learn to surf and then come home and like project a movie against the wall of an abandoned building question mark. We don't know where these movies are being projected. I'm just going to no. say that piece. The food looks pretty good. I'm seeing breakfast foods. I'm not seeing any cereal. That's hard for me. Um, I'm seeing a yogurt parfait question mark. Is that a seltzer? Oh, no. coconut water pass. <laughs> um, Okay, I'm really deep in this right now, but I just want to complicate this further by saying I don't know how much it costs, but if you've seen the Home Edit episode with Khloe Kardashian where the hosts are called in to make a parking garage for um, her daughter's, like, basically, what are those cars that you can, like, actually sit in and drive around? Power wheels? Yeah. Okay, we weren't allowed to have that growing up, but, like, I was always mystified by other kids who had that. I'm wondering if that's under 650 and I know it's a different play experience, but it's like, you can actually drive that. But do you want, I mean, that's not for every child. You know, ultimately what I keep coming back to mentally, and I am going to actually say this out loud now because I'm brave enough. If you have $650 and you can buy yourself a Saturn, you can buy (laughs) these kids a Saturn. Hear me out, Allison. You can buy these kids a Saturn. Just turn it on every once in a while. Keep the battery fresh. These kids will thank you when they can actually drive legally or not. I mean, let them drive early. Who cares? They're not my nieces and nephews. But like, I'm just saying, buy them the real thing. Buy them the real dream car, a Saturn. Okay. So from there, I'm going to take us to a story about holiday magic from Meg. Is that okay? Is it about a Saturn? Um, yeah, in its okay. own way. Okay, I, I think it's about like magic and, and invisibility. Cool, um, cool, cool. So Meg was very fortunate and she received a Samantha doll from Santa in 1990 and she was nine years old at the time. Mm -hmm. She hadn't known anything about the dolls or the catalog, but her mom thought it would be a perfect fit because as the ads used to say, she was still young enough to want to play with dolls, but old enough to love reading. She continues. However, Samantha, this part is for adults. So if you're not an adult, Uh just hit pause and and fast fast forward a minute. Samantha is also what caused me to ask my mom if Santa was real. Santa brought me the doll, but she brought me the books. And I didn't think this level of coordination seemed plausible. I mean, well, Samantha, or, or sorry, Meg, it is. It is possible. Yeah. She says, my mom told me that everyone can be Santa and make the holidays magical. That is absolutely true. Oh, yes. Just not Mrs. Claus because she's overworked. Underappreciated, overworked. Yes. Um, may I share another story that I really appreciated about like a similar kind of thing? Sure. So Claire is our people. She loves Molly. Um, she says she cherished how Molly was a way for her to connect with her grandmother over the Second World War. Very and sweet. she says, I always felt I had a special bond with my grandmother and Molly would have been just a couple years older than she was. So I was thankful to have a window into what her life was like at her age. She also has an additional memory, which is that um, her grandmother was diagnosed with breast cancer um, the year after she received Molly. And so something that they did was they got matching pink pajamas um, and a matching Mm. ribbon for her and for Molly in solidarity with her grandmother. And she says it felt so special that Molly and I could support my grandmother together. And so I think that also shows like you know, you can receive the doll and then the meaning of the doll changes. Like she has these two very different and and special memories. And so thank you for sharing that with us. Um, And I think it's really cool. Like her mom took out the sewing machine and and she made all of this um, and really wanted to surprise her. So it was like this really very cool thing they did together. 
That's so sweet. And I relate to that so much, obviously, as I've shared, I was so, so close to my grandmother as well. And, and oddly, my other grandmother is the one who gave me American Girl stuff, including American Girl dolls and books. And, and yet it was the thing that I really used to connect to the grandmother that I was very close to. So, you know, that's a very special bond. And I will just say as a a piece of self-care, do not listen to Marjorie off of Taylor Swift's new album, which is a tribute track to her grandmother who passed. And I listened to it and it was very emotional for me. It's a very nice song, but it's, you know, very sad, but you know, maybe that it will be a good thing for you. I don't know. I'm just trying to throw that out there. But anyway, thank you for sharing your story. That's very sweet. Do you want a braid story to feel better? Yes, thank you. Since I mean, just to like also, there was no Saturn in that story, and I feel lied to. But I'm moving on. (laughs) That's not the first time someone (laughs) has lied to you about Saturn. Um, Sadly, not. Yes. um, So Megan had been wanting an American Girl doll for years. She was in second grade when she discovered the books, and she inhaled them. She was Team Kirsten all the way, and this led her to loving historical fiction. um, And she says that she was like very excited. Um, and she was talking all about how Addie's pajamas came with a heart warmer and slippers, not just a shawl. So like she was, she was on all the details. And then she tells this with just like, she's a great storyteller. We reach Christmas Eve, 1998. I am in fourth grade. My family is gathered at grandmother's house, opening gifts. My box is huge. My sister's is smaller. She opens hers first and I see the AG box. My box is different. So my mind tells me I'm not getting the doll I wanted for years. And my sister is. I burst into tears. I am inconsolable. My teenage aunt is laughing her head off and tells me to go get my box. I am heaving and unwrap it to see a box for a stereo. And I start crying again. At this point, all adults are laughing. They instruct me to open the stereo box. And I saw that they had double boxed my gift, which was the Kirsten doll I had always wanted. Epilogue. The next day, my sister undid Kirsten's braids, and I am still upset with her. She Megan, should be. I love that for you because that was like, I you think were over disrespected. 20, that was 22 years ago, and you are not over it. You're not over it, nor should you be. I'm I mean, not over first it. First of all, the double boxing, that's like, oh that's my dirty. God, that's dirty. My, my parents did that with my, um, my iPod. Really? Yeah, they put it in like a random crappy box and it was like buried under other stuff. And it was like, I've never been a tech kid anyway. Like, who was this for? (laughs) My God, my parents never did that kind of stuff. They would just like torture us other ways, like buy my siblings gifts that would torture everybody, a.k.a. My younger brother got bagpipes one year and I've like never recovered from that. So (laughs) I feel your pain. Taking out the braids is like an act of violence. And I'm sorry that that happened to you. You can never recreate that. No. Um, A last story from me, Sarah, via me. Sure. Another Kirsten story. Um, Kirsten was always her favorite American girl. And typically for Christmas Eve, her family goes to their grandparents and they have a Swedish dinner. Um, This is something that she really loves and she loves Christmas Eve. This year is looking different. So they don't, they're not getting together, but she's going to read the Kirsten holiday book and listen to the podcast where we talk about it. It won't be quite the same, but it'll be good in its own way. Oh, that's so sad, but also like beautiful. Um, her library friend gave her her Kirsten books because of um, circulation stats. And this is what I want to say to you, Sarah. That's on you now. Wow. Get those numbers up. Wow. You're putting it on her. Interesting. No, 
know, Sarah told us this really beautiful thing about herself. And I was like, oh, so that's interesting. You're like, Kirsten needs you. I mean, listen, as long as these other characters have a Volkswagen surf bus, like we're all out here trying to help out these other OGs. Yes. Like, when is Molly going to be released from the vault? Like, I, it's beautiful that she, the mini Molly is available for Courtney's everywhere. But what about full size Molly? What about Kirsten? I don't know. Mary, I just have one more thing I need to share with you. And then I promise uh, I'm, I'm done. Yes. So our friend Samantha F. from Connecticut wrote to us. Hi, Samantha. She hey, believed Samantha. in us. She hired us. Oh, my gosh. She, she hired, hired us for like our one of our first gigs. Thank you, Samantha. <laughs> Thank you, Samantha F. Um, frequent writer. I love it. You always bring up great points. She shocked me with this one. Uh-oh. I loved it. So we did our friendship program a few weeks ago. Lots and she wrote to us with something she thought that we would enjoy. So a woman who lives in Norwalk, Connecticut named Kathy Drasky um, put together an indie documentary called The Sexy Six, a story of lifelong friendship. And she followed six women who were friends from this one part of town for their whole lives, um, how they went through their careers, becoming wives, becoming mothers, and kept up um, a passionate and like cool friendship their whole life. Um, and you can find out more about this at thesexysix.com. <laughs> Your face. What? They have an Insta at Sexy Six Movie. I love this so much because I went right on their Insta. And part of why she recommended this to us is this is the kind of shenanigans that Molly might have gotten, you know, up into as an adult. And she also is like, Guilford might approve. She might not. I think Guilford would not approve. But I really appreciated that she thought of us about this cool event because not enough people chronicle friend groups or friendships. So it was so cool that she thought of us. Um, and she's also enjoying us, us rethinking about Molly, even though she's a double Samantha. You know what? Double Samantha will allow it because you keep bringing us this fierce content. And I appreciate that. I'm looking at their Instagram right now. Oh my God, these photos, like histories of friendship are so important to me and meaningful. Oh my God. I'm looking at a happy mother's day post with a picture of these ladies around a table They're so cool. They're so cool. It's the 70s. One of them looks like has shown up with like a Beethoven aesthetic, which like I'll presume was cool in the 70s. Honestly, I love all of this. I would definitely want to see this documentary or whatever this is. Um, Can I be friends with them? Can we be friends with them? Is that still is that still an option? Yeah. I mean, so we have Emma from Kentucky who told us a super cool story. We have Annie who like gave us cool intel on have yourself a merry little Christmas. Like, I think we might have more than six if we included everyone we talked about this episode, but like, it's never ending. It's never ending. And I do want to just quickly fire at you. Oh, some other questions. So curly girl gal wrote, forgive me if you've addressed this, but what are your thoughts on the magic attic series? I can't say I remember a ton about it, but if I recall correctly, I had the Allison doll. They get into some weird stuff, and unless I'm speaking in error. Nope, I had I had the Allison doll. She's still in my collection. Her hair looks amazing. She's a blonde. She held up really well. The highlight of that series for me was the one who did ice skating, which I think may have also been Allison. Um, they were 18 inch, very much like our girls in 
the AG series, but they were much slenderer. Like they were very thin, very kind of like rail straight dolls. And they came on stands, Mm. which I think was always a tell because a doll that's meant to be on a stand, she's just never going to get down with like the Amish stuff that I want to do. You know what? And that's, that's a deep loss for that doll. Like no questions asked. (laughs) Um, I don't have deep memories of magic attic myself, but I will just say that I read this very late at night. And at first I thought she wrote flowers in the attic and I was like, we can't, we can't go there on this show. These but. dolls still retail for between 50, 70, like the Alice in Magic Attic. You're looking at 65 plus shipping. Yep. Excuse me? Wow. She does well. Damn. And like this $30 one, she's not in great shape. That's rough. Don't put in a bit. <laughs> I see that look in your eyes. Don't do it. Um, Allison, speaking of dolls and purchasing stuff, if you could have any doll accessory, what would it be? Now? I- I've become pretty yes. fixated on the Samantha Buff. I'm not going to lie. Like I Interesting. You had that really ready to go. You didn't have to think about it. No, it's just pathetic. I not pathetic. So something I have given some thought to because I was researching it was getting some of the Molly outfits and I have not done that in part because the outfits I have were made by and with my mother and so they're special in that way. And so that's kind of where I've left it. Mm. Um, that said, I do occasionally look at the stuff for myself and then I try to kind of draw a boundary. That's brave. How about you? I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know. Hmm. Doll accessory. I feel like the thing that's freshest in my mind that I just sort of want to have on my desk because I think it's cool is the Mr. Pac-Man console for Mm. Courtney. That's fair. That's cool. Which is really cool, but also the Lisa Frank stuff that are they actually calling it that or are they it's a knock No, I I I believe that it is, unless I'm mistaken. Okay. I mean she has That's Care Bears fair. licensed. Wow, love the Care Bears too. I also like in terms of like clothes I could actually wear, the only piece of American girl clothing I ever really wanted, other than the Molly PJs, thank you again. Was the jacket, the purple mm. black sleeved American girl jacket. Or like I had this vision once pre-COVID where I was like, if we go on tour and do live shows, like we should get those jackets. I was literally just thinking that. <gasps> really? No, I really, okay. I really was. We got to look into this. If you're listening to this, do not buy any of those jackets you find <laughs> on eBay right now, please. I'm gonna tell you the truth. Folks occasionally send us TikToks or they send us content. And every now and then there's just a cool chick in one of those purple coats. And I'm like, I know. I don't care. They look good. People will send us stuff and they'll say, I don't know if 18 people have sent this to you. And it's like 18 people have because it's good content. Don't hold. It's great content. Thank you. Send it to me 20 times. Oh, my God. We need those jackets. I'm putting I'm conducting a national search (laughs) right now, starting now. Yeah. If we ever do a live tour, which was our ambition before COVID and hopefully will happen again someday, um, because we did do that friendship event and it was super, super fun. We had such a good time with everyone who came. So thank you all who, um, all of you who made time. Um, we would love to kind of do that live and in person because the only thing better than hanging out virtually would be like an in-person hangout where we could actually see you. So, um, we need to get those jackets. End of story. I'm branding our tour right now and it's called Brunette Ambition. Has that been done? <gasps> it's done now. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God. Yes. T-shirts. Let's do it. Thank you. I'm so excited. Although I'm saying this right now, I get final sign off of where we stay and you know why. I do. <laughs> 
We're not staying in a weird basement, shared apartment, share a bathroom with a stranger. Like, I'm not doing this. I'm not dying this way. Not happening. A few of you have given us the feedback that Bachelor is not actually being filmed at a chain La Quinta. I know that, and I choose to not accept that information. It is called La Quinta. I hear you. In my heart, it will never stop being filmed at a chain La Quinta. Never. So I hear it. I receive the feedback. I appreciate you. We can't, you know, we can't, we can't like take that into our spirit because it's just like, that's our version of the brand. Yeah. That's our brand. Yeah. Wow. We've covered a lot of territory. I'm looking through these questions to see if there's any last minute, you know, deep dives. Somebody did ask what, which artist was number one on each AG's Spotify wrapped this year. Any thoughts on that? Josefina, and this is not like an at you, Josefina would have a lot of ASMR. (laughs) No, I'm just, I feel like she would. Okay, was one of the top 10 songs in my Spotify wrapped an ASMR track? Yes. Yeah. I can't apologize for that. It's been a year. But I do think Josefina deeply needs ASMR. Yeah. But my concern for her is that like someone would recommend it to her and she would be that half of the population for whom ASMR sounds like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. And she would still listen to it out of deep guilt. She'd be like, oh my God, but my, you know, but Tia Dolores told me to listen to this. So I have to, even though it's making me want to die inside. Tia's making the ASMR. Tia's making the ASMR by like literally like pulling, like tracing a shovel over the ground where she's like buried bodies. And she's like, you know, like, like, like into a microphone. And it's all sort of like her cleaning up the crime scene. Crime scene ASMR, is that a thing? Um, so there are people who post TikToks of crime scene cleanup or sort of like post- are you serious. Yes. I mean, I get that in my in my content feed or postmortem cleanup. And I think part of why it's important to talk about that is, you know, a lot of people have a, a distance from death or or we don't really talk or think about it. And we're in a kind of national like who asked for this? I don't know. But um, this content for me. But yeah, we're in a kind of it. national crisis of people who are people who are incarcerated are being asked to do a lot of the labor around taking care of the dead. Why am I taking this episode to this place? But I am. It's okay. But I think it's important that people literally fighting our fires and helping to bury our dead are being paid $2 an hour and aren't free. And I think that matters. Totally agree. Anyway, happy Spotify wrapped. Happy (laughs) holidays, everybody. All of that made me think about Emily Blunt was once in a movie with, um, my God, I'm not gonna remember her name. She's been nominated for an Academy Award many times, has not won. Oh. She has like red, brown, red hair. What's the film? Amy Adams. Love Amy Adams. Amy Adams and Emily Blunt were in a movie where they started a business cleaning up crime scenes together. They were sisters. Yes, they did. That's a valuable service to society. You know what? Yes, I agree with you. Yes. Um, I want to make one of the artists on the AG wrapped, not to take us back to the question, but um, Kelly Clarkson, because I feel like she doesn't get enough credit. And I just want to put that out there. I think so I feel good. like, you know, maybe Molly. I don't know. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. I think that Addie would put Mariah at the top of her list because all she wants for Christmas is family. Like all she wants is to reunite <sighs> with people. And that's important to her. Also important to Mimi, you know, as we know, having read her book or reading her book, that really all she wants is to fit in in her family. And, you know, it's probably not going to happen, but at least she had to her briefly. Spoiler, that's on the Patreon. Don't even want to think about that. We will be talking about it. We'll be getting deep into Mariah. Um, So we've covered a lot of ground here. Uh, We really do appreciate everyone who sent us questions and stories. We love them. 
Yes. There's some that we didn't get to share and I'll make sure to try to be in touch with you, but thank you so much for spending part of your, honestly, probably one of the busiest times and most isolating times of the year for people reaching out to us, telling us your story. It really is so cool to us that you are now including us in your holiday traditions. That's very special. So thank you. That is so deeply special. And that's what I meant by, you know, it's like sad that um, that listener can't be with her family to do like those traditions, but is sharing it with Kirsten and maybe by extension us. Like I'm so truly honored by that. That's so special and so sweet. And I really love it when listeners reach out to us. It's very, very special. So if you are spending time, like, you know, this is a tough time of year, Elson. So my question for you is what is a pop culture thing that is bringing you joy or is helping you get through what is both, I guess, a happy time, the holidays, but also like kind of a sad and stressful time at the same time. So I am watching a teacher, which I I think is kind of weird and a downer. It's fine. Um, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying the podcast Red Handed. That was kind of a recent find, recent-ish for me. Um, and that's something where folks recently asked, what's a podcast that's like sitting with two friends? That's definitely it for me. I love mm-hmm. their dynamic. I even like the way that they read advertisements. Um, they're people that I would want to spend time with. What's it about? Murder. Okay. Yeah. What about you? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, let's see. I watched the prom recently, as did you. And um, it is a fun kind of escape. James Corden is a problem. And I'll just leave it there. Um, but, you know, I like things that sort of take you out of yourself, I guess. I've heard the flight attendant is fun or it's like interesting. It's interesting. That's true. Yes. OK, I have not seen that, but I I will pursue that. Um we are going to watch Selena. Perhaps we'll do a Patreon episode about it once we're done with it. We don't want to talk about it before we have seen it. So I don't want to say anything about it. Um, but that's on my list. I know that the Netflix show that Shonda Rhimes is making that Julie Andrews is the narrator of is coming out soon. Also into that. I'm watching like the stuff I'm watching now is like not relatable content. It's like Murder, She Wrote, Um Agatha Christie mysteries from the eighties that I can't say the name of. Like it sounds like me saying Thoreau, like Poirot. Oh, Poirot, like, yeah, Poirot. That's fine. But th- is that the right way to say that? I, I'm. I mean, people can tell us if we said I'm it. I'm just wrong. rolling with that. I mean, I give up. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's fun. That's all I can say. And I'm watching Grand Designs still and Schitt's Creek, which I've returned to and is very fun. I am eagerly waiting because a listener uh, recommended it to me. You can search American Girl Holiday Album, and there is actually a Spotify playlist. And so there is also, I was able to acquire a CD version of this album. So I'm going to go and listen to it when it arrives. Uh, So this listener emailed us this and I immediately went on Mercari. I was locked out of my account. I was like, doesn't matter. Immediately purchased it for $10. So thank you to the Florida woman who uh, sold that to me. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for your service. Also, you've brought up Mimi before, or maybe I did, but I just want to say, if you've never seen Mariah's World, it's the best reality show of all time. Just going to leave it there. It's on Amazon Prime. You have to pay for it. It's worth it. And you might want to watch it in anticipation of the Patreon episode if you participate in that. I'm preparing what I'm referring to as a lights out presentation of clips that I believe are relevant to our discussion of this book. So I'm just going to leave it there. Incidentally, this is now our longest episode ever. Oops. No. <laughs> um, we'll wrap it up here. 
But, you know, just to say thank you so much to everyone who listens, everyone who's reached out to us. We do so appreciate you. Thanks to all of you who have visited our merch store or who support us on Patreon. We really appreciate you. Allison, if people want to send you murder tips, murder related content, um, where might they find you? Uh, so don't send me that unless it's, you know. Not like a how-to, right, but more right, of just of like a, you know, cool just show. chatting about the, the the world. So I am reachable at Allison Horrocks on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can also reach out to the show at A Girl's Pod on Twitter. Um, we love when we have conversations with you there. And you can find American Girls Podcast by researching our website, which has all of our contact, and also on Instagram. Mary, where should people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney or on Twitter at Mary Mahoney123. We do so love hearing from you and thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.